Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens Anders and I work with Danfoss Cooling. Thank you for listening in on this podcast, which is a special Refrigerant Week bonus podcast. Please also visit our website, danfoss.com, and scroll a bit down. You can then click the banner for the Refrigerant Week 2018. As a result of the Montreal Protocol and later the Kigali Amendment to the Protocol, environmentally harmful refrigerants will be phased out over an agreed time horizon. So regardless where you are located, the phase-out will come to a place near you. Today I'll talk a bit about some of the many possible consequences or considerations to make by the renewal of refrigerants in existing systems, typically residential HVAC, smaller commercial systems, or maybe also merchandises. I will, however, not go into details and instructions on how exactly to make the complete retrofit, but I'll share the considerations and the overall procedures that you will have to look into when retrofitting. Many of the existing systems will most likely be completely renewed, but there will still be requests for retrofitting as the renewal of refrigerant in an existing system is often referred to. So what do you need to do in case you are asked to retrofit a system? Well, first of all, you need to know what you're doing. So if you think it's just another DIY job, think again. Then you need to consider if it's all worth it. If it would make more sense to completely rebuild the system to a more modern and probably more efficient system. But that's also a consideration that the owner needs to, uh, to take. So let's just assume that you actually will replace the R507 charge in the existing system with R407F, both being HFCs, just with a significant difference in global warming potential, the GWP. Going from one HFC to another HFC is no major challenge, only you have to check that the old and the new refrigerants are similar or close to similar when it comes to significant refrigerant properties like critical and boiling temperatures. Obviously, you shouldn't replace a low-pressure refrigerant with a high-pressure, but I guess that goes without saying. But if you're considering switching from an HCFC like R22 to an HFC like R407F, there are a couple of things you need to take into account. So let's just have a closer look at that scenario. First of all, check if the compressor can run with the new refrigerant, or rather that it can run with the requirements that follows the shift. Secondly, you'll have to change oil which also indicate that you most likely will have to change gaskets in parts of the equipment. Thirdly, the evaporator and condenser. Can they handle the new capacity? In case of a jump from R22 to R407F, the capacity may increase by about 25%, a bit depending on working temperatures. So can they really handle this increase? The valves. Some of the oil types used with certain refrigerants will have an impact on the ceilings, the gaskets in the valves, so almost regardless of the age of the system, you should renew all gaskets and ceilings 
as the new chemical mix will almost certainly be different than the previous. Especially the TXV will need attention. The sensor bulb has been charged according to the refrigerant that the valve is supposed to work with. So you will have to check if the existing TXV will work with a new refrigerant. You will anyway need to renew the strainer, but you will need to check if a different orifice should and can be installed as the capacity has most likely changed. If you can't change the orifice, you may need to change the entire TXV. Certainly, you will under all circumstances have to check and most likely have to readjust the superheat setting. Now the pipework. What impact will the changed refrigerant properties have on the enthalpy? That is, one thing is a change of capacity, but that may most likely also result in changed velocities, positively or negatively. And also here, the oil transport will need a thought or two. Then the controller. Depending a bit on type of control, it will have to be adjusted or have settings changed. First of all, of course, the type of refrigerant and possibly also some of the temperature settings. Again, especially attention to the superheat settings. Finally, always remember to renew the filter dryer and check the side glass condition and compatibility with the new refrigerant. But apart from all that, retrofitting is a piece of cake. Just remember a few rules of thumb. Retrofitting the same type, say HFC to HFC, is not too bad. Retrofitting to another type, say from HCFC to HFO, for instance, may not be so easy and will require some serious thoughts. Also the lubrication, the oil type, as mentioned before, must be taken into serious consideration because of the different seal types. You must also be very cautious about the safety classification of the new refrigerant, if it's flammable, mildly or fully. But back to where we left off with the two HFCs. I'll not go into details about how you do things, because if you don't know how to, you shouldn't do it this yourself. You can find a complete step-by-step -step on how to purge, drain, recharge the system at danfoss.com. So please refer to the link on your podcast site, or you can find it by searching for retrofit and high glide refrigerants on the danfoss.com website. But let's get to it. So, first of all, measure and take note of suction pressure at the compressor, discharge pressure at the compressor, suction temperature at the compressor, that is total superheat, suction temperature at the evaporator outlet, that is the evaporator superheat, liquid temperature at the expansion valve inlet, liquid subcooling, discharge temperature at the compressor, power supply voltage and current. Control the refrigerant flow to the evaporator on each distributor tube. Carefully check for tube obstruction, blockings by dirt and sludge. Reclaim the charge to an empty canister and make note of the weight of the reclaimed charge. Drain the oil from the compressor and do an acid test on the oil. Renew any seals and gaskets that has been in contact with the oil. Charge the same amount of new oil compatible with the new refrigerant. You'll most likely have to repeat draining the oil a few days later as there will be oil also in the pipings. 
Evacuate the entire system. Best with the compressor isolated if you have a shutoff valve installed that allows for it. Pump a vacuum down to 500 microns, equal to approximately 0.67 millibar. Keep the vacuum while you disconnect the vacuum pump and let the system sit for half an hour while you monitor any rise in pressure. A rapid rise in pressure indicates leaks. A slow to moderate rise indicates moisture in the system. Repair any leak and repeat the evacuation process like I just described. In case of moisture indication, you should break the vacuum with nitrogen and repeat the vacuum process. The vacuum of 500 microns or 0.67 millibar should be maintained for 4 hours in order to show the leaks and moisture has been fully fixed. Remember to measure the vacuum at the system, not the vacuum pump inlet. Glide refrigerants, that is zeotropic refrigerants, typically the R400 series, must be charged as liquid. Charge the nominal all-season amount before starting the compressor, then adjust afterwards. Now, take the same measurements as before, that is, suction pressure, discharge pressure, suction temperature, suction temperature at evaporator, liquid temperature and discharge temperature at the compressor. Compare with the same measurements with the old charge and check that the values are within the operating envelope of the system. But let's just recap why the so-called glide exists. Typically, the R400 series of zeotropic refrigerants are usually blends of different pure or azeotropic refrigerants. If we look at R407F, for instance, it's made up of 30% R32, 30% R125 and 40% R134A. So, in the evaporative phase, the component with the highest boiling temperature, that is R32, will start boil before the other components. Next is then the R125 and finally the R134A. This means that you get an uneven evaporation process, or rather an evaporation that starts with one temperature and is completed at another slightly higher temperature. So the glide is the temperature difference between the first boiling, the bubble point, and the last drop to evaporate, the dew point. And that of course will have an impact on the superheat setting. You will almost certainly have to adjust the superheat to fit the dew point temperature. Under all circumstances, you must check that the superheat is within the boundaries of the recommended temperature tolerances for that particular refrigerant and the system. In the document I referred to earlier, the retrofit and high glide refrigerants, there are far more detailed explanation about the superheat calculations, the settings, and you will also find a very quick guide for the superheat setting in the Danfoss app, the low GWP tool that you can download from the app stores. Thank you for listening in on this uh, special podcast, this bonus podcast for the refrigerant week, and uh, I hope to be back soon again. Thank you. Thank you.